back to optimism vaccine i am steve and hey joining me today uh i've got a man who recently actually he got a a, a voicemail we have like a, a google voice account that i've used for some interviews and uh there, there was a voicemail for adam myros myros do, do you want me to play that voicemail for you real quick uh yeah you know i never i never want to miss a call yeah okay here, here you go here you go I, I don't I have no idea what that's about, but uh, <laughs> well, it's it one is. of our biggest fans. Just calling in, just calling business in. Business as yes. usual around here. Yeah, business as usual. Just just normal shit here at Optimism Vaccine. No big deal. Uh, also joining us today, uh, a lot of people on the internet think he's a smooth brain turbo virgin, but uh, I think he's an okay guy. Jack Eason's here. Well, the internet doesn't lie, so I've got bad news for you, Steve. Uh, yeah. Well, I figured as much, but I, I give you the benefit of the doubt sometimes, right? I, I appreciate it. No, you know, but you got to live with your limitations. Yeah. Uh, also joining us, uh, some people call him Darius Grouch the Third, but around here we just call him the Rumble. Jake Trapelis here. Hey, Steve, happy to be here, and I got that pack of needles you were looking for. <laughs> good. That's good. Thank you so much for that. Deep, I'll make sure P Roach knows. It's a deep cut. All right, boys. <laughs> Uh, you know, a, a lot of times on this show, we, we go back and we, we watch older movies. We uh, explore the cinema of the past, but we know that our rabid fan base, they demand that we tackle the cinema of today. And wouldn't you know, it's, it's summer movie season. All the big blockbusters are out in your local crowded cinemaplex, right? So I said to myself, what's, what's playing? What's playing in the old theaters? What's number one at the box office right now? And the answer is a bunch of old shit, but uh, what's new? And the answer is a bunch of garbage. So today we are, uh, we're looking at the hottest flicks of summer 2020. How excited are you? Um, yeah. <laughs> Dead silence. <laughs> <laughs> I, I blame you people for this. I step away for, for oh, a couple people. episodes. You and I, I just wanted to watch uh, Russell Crowe's new film, Unhinged, and... Uh, Instead, it morphed into whatever the fuck this is, and, and, and man, it's awful. Okay, now listen, we, well, that was not for a lack of trying, all right? We thought Unhinged was readily available to the legally renting community of film viewers, and it was not, so you're left saddled with money plane. I'm yeah. sorry. <laughs> and speaking of... <laughs> well, keep in mind, we, we will get back to Unhinged, dear viewers. We will get oh, back to Unhinged. We'll get to it. We'll get to it. Uh, but yeah, today we're talking uh, money plane. Whatever you want to wager on, the money plane has you covered. Russian roulette. Or it is they carry up to a billion on board in crypto and millions in cash. I want you and your crew to take down the house. Money plane. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. So this is... The kind of movie, Money Plane is the kind of movie where normally I think this would fly under all of our radars. It's uh, a bunch of B-movie actors, kind of a generic uh, direct-to-video action flick, which Lord knows I watch my fair share, but uh, this one normally would not land on my radar at all. However, because we all have pandemic brain right now, 
the internet decided that Money Plane was going to be the movie of 2020. We're making Money Plane a thing. They all decided. So we, we all shared the trailer and everybody watched it. And then The Ringer wrote an oral history of Money Plane. And now we are continuing the era of uh, normie, good, bad cinema. So welcome, gentlemen. How was your experience on the Money Plane? Money Plane! There's nothing worse than flying budgets, is there? <laughs> it's, uh, it's, it's rough. Jesus. Um, yeah, I mean, I don't have much to say, guys, uh, other than foreshadowing that I don't think any of us like this movie. So work with that. No, it, it kind of sucks because if if you look at the cast here, how how can I not love this? It's got fucking Edge from WWE, who I will remind you, 11-time WWE World Heavyweight Champion, 14-time Tag Champion, former King of the Ring, former Money in the Bank winner, former Royal Rumble winner. This guy's like an all-timer. Oh, absolute great. So he's the Rumble. Yeah, he's the Rumble. <laughs> It's really good because I had no idea who he was, but like I, I keep telling you, I literally just thought it was Brian Thompson had aged really, really well. Um, <laughs> I like how you keep like calling him the edge. Like him. You're like, oh, this who's this the edge guy? <laughs> I, mean, I wasn't. Look, I, the movie stars Frasier. That's about as far. Frasier and Denise Richards was like as far as I processed the credits, oh and after God. that, everything was a surprise. Or well, Thomas Jane as well is in it. It does have like it has this this trio of named actors like people you've heard of and i guess edge is is like famous if you're into wrestling which i obviously am not but um i guess is this that's where the budget went um because the rest of the film doesn't have a budget very very clearly it's very very this is a very pared down production and um i'm not sure if i don't know but the shooting of this thing it was affected by the covid19 because of some really weird staging like no one's like people just don't seem like they're in the same room together but i don't know if that's covid or just that like fraser shot this at his house as a cash grab and like and worked for a day and that's it it's kind of difficult to sell i like how jack is discounting it jack is discounting one of the big money stars Have you ever heard of a little show called blossom my friend <laughs> No, that actually never made it to Ireland. I've I've heard of Blossom, but I've never seen an episode of it. I feel Joey like Lawrence. Felicity was close to it, though. I don't know. No. Was Felicity in any way related to that show? Because I no. have them paired for some reason. No. And that one did make it across the Atlantic. It's totally different. Blossom was a teenage girl with a big nose and a floppy hat. And her best friend was Joey Lawrence. And he was a putz who said, whoa, all the time. And that's Wait, the show. Wasn't Joey well, Lawrence the brother? I think he was a uh, brother. Brother, a friend. I, I mean, you know, you can be friends with your brother. I'm not wrong. Well, the friend was six. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah I'm sorry. The friend was six. That's right. So uh, who in this film was Blossom? Nobody was Blossom. The concierge. Blossom. Not Blossom. <laughs> <laughs> no, Joey Lawrence, the concierge I, I, with the fascist haircut. The guy, that, like the alt-right concierge. Oh, I see. Well, I, I don't know huge. that guy. I don't know Blossom, but that guy I grew up knowing as one of the three Lawrence brothers who were like Disney Channel's Hanson. And uh, not only is he in this, but uh, middle brother Matthew Lawrence uh, dons an atrocious fake mustache and plays a cowboy uh, who's also the undefeated Russian roulette champion of the world. And youngest brother, Andy Lawrence, is the director of this goddamn movie. That's right. That's right. 
Yeah, and I think Andy Lawrence also plays the like hacker guy that's in the cool crew. Yeah, yeah. yeah there you go. There you go. Nothing but stars in this one. Yeah. Uh, and, and as we mentioned before, a lot of the the stars, heavy finger quotes here, are definitely just doing a couple hours of work and calling it a day. Like I'm pretty sure Frazier is smoking a cigar in his own backyard, and they just were like, "Can we shoot for two hours?" And then we'll get what we need, and then you're done. He said, sure, why not? Uh, and then on top of that, I think Denise Richards is the one that really stands out to me because I don't even know if she knows what movie she's in. Uh, she only has about two scenes. There's, there's one in the beginning uh, depicting the home life of Mr. Edge, our, uh, our hero. Does she even say anything? I'm like, no. I don't remember her even speaking. Yeah, she says, it's film. time for bed. Yeah, it's like a oh. yeah. iconic. <laughs> and then she has the best scene of the whole fucking movie that doesn't involve Frasier, which is the ending of the film where, you know, after the job is done and everything and the family's kicking back, and there's this scene with, with Edge and oh. her and her daughter, and I, I don't know if she doesn't know what's going on in the scene or if she's just confused about her character's motivations or if it's just shit and she doesn't, you know, can't really blame her. Uh, but she seems very confused. Like the movie just ends on this very strange note where her and Edge kind of look at each other and they're like, wait, is that okay? Are we good? Is that are yeah, we cutting? What? I noticed that too. It's like, it, it's just kind of like they're kind of just giving it to like, I, I, well, we made a movie. <laughs> That's it. Yeah, no, it's, it's very, it's very apparent from everything that happens in this film that all of any blame for confusion or for actor performances fully rests with the writer and directors. Um, this film is very poorly made. Um, and, you know, it's kind of like people, people, I've seen, I read a couple of reviews, you know, Letterboxd and a few places here and there, and people were like, a lot of people, I think, because just they're going slowly insane, stuck indoors all the time, they're like really trying to champion this as like, you know, no, it's not a good movie, but, you know, get a couple of beers, get some of your friends on Zoom, it's a good time. And it's like, Honestly, I don't even agree with that. Like, this movie is just, like, inert. It's so, like, it's, <laughs> it's dumb, but it, it doesn't, it's dumb, but not dumb enough. It has details it never explains. Uh, the action is really tepid and kind of undercooked. Uh, the, just the the pacing, like I mean, the framing of characters. It's just like I mean, the edge. Our, our action superstar spends most of the film <laughs> yes. sitting in a cockpit on his own, literally just there, just flying a plane. And cinematically, when you fly a plane, you're just sitting in a seat. It's not like he's even pretending to steer or anything. Like the film, literally, when Frazier is not on screen, this film is literally lifeless. It has no forward momentum whatsoever at uh, fraser is the only good thing and i will continue to refer to him as fraser rather than kelsey grammar because that's just easier i just realized it's not really fraser is it no it's darius grouch darius the grouch rumble. the rumble <laughs> the third yeah uh you know of the of the rumble clan and uh i am it's darius just, grouch the third the rumble like the film <laughs> the film tries to be fun and goofy and it has like these extended comedy sequences to try and convince like don't take this too seriously but the comedy sequences aren't funny and then everything else about the film doesn't really work either so i just this is just it, the only thing this film gets right is the fact that it's like 82 minutes long and that's still pushing their look yeah yeah it kind of it kind of undercuts itself too because i mean 
Kelsey Grammer is amazing in this movie, but that's because his character is totally over the top and he plays it completely straight. Totally straight. And where the movie falters the most is these little bits, these comedy routines that they do or some of the other over-the-top characters that are way more tongue-in-cheek. Uh, we mentioned the, like, the, I'm a Texas oil man gambler and I want to play Russian roulette. dibbity dobbity Like, that guy <laughs> sucks ass. And all, all the side characters, there's another guy who's just, like, some sleazebag who's just like, you know what I think of rules? Rules are meant to be fucked. I want to put my big old hog porker in you. Like, everyone with a southern accent in this movie sucks ass. And it, it's it's played for comedy and it doesn't work. It's, it's Stop being so fucking self-aware. There's, there's a whole sequence one like uh, it's it's just like I talk about this film being a nerd like there's they get on the mo- like first off it skips over huge chunks it's like you're gonna knock off the money plane it's like that's impossible no one can knock off the money plane and then the next scene he's like alright we've organized for three of us to be on the money plane and it's like well that would seem like the hardest part and they sort of that literally with a cut and then they get on the money plane and then the whole sequence is literally explanations of gambling which who cares just like you you can gamble here and then the rest of it is um like the edge is disguised he's he's got deep covers like a a human trafficker and there's just these inane conversations where like i'm into human trafficking and then the other guys start like quoting what sounds like wikipedia segments about what they know about human trafficking (laughs) and this feels like it goes on for like 10 minutes like just time ceases to exist and like the film just it it has like i guess what i guess what my my fundamental problem with this film is like people will say it's it's of limited means it's cheap looking uh, and it definitely is but like the money isn't the problem in this film it is a just a boring like badly written kind of unambitious film mm-hmm. um like the script doesn't really try like to try to distinguish itself or differentiate it from anything it just reckons that it's like this is stupid so you won't expect anything of us and it just runs with that for 80 plus minutes until you pass out yeah and it loves how stupid it thinks it is too and again going back to the idea of you know stop winking at the camera so goddamn much uh one of the other characters edges like main sidekick is this very american black guy and his name in the movie is like dara mcgillicuddy or something like that like that's his code name and and everyone's just like, oh, McGillicuddy, ha ha ha, wink at the camera. It's funny because it's a very Irish name and he's clearly an American black man. This is fun. It's like, no, why not just have that be his name and then let us laugh at it because we're not fucking dumbasses, you know? It's just, come on, yeah. come on. It's better than that. Yeah, it wants to be this this snazzy, cool, fun romp, but it's just so incompetent at every turn. Like the the opening is them breaking into this I guess it's supposed to be a museum but it looks like just like a shitty rundown office that they found not in use uh, where they're trying to steal some art for the rumble and when they break out of the exit doors to get into the back of their van five guys come piling out behind them with machine guns and they're literally about 15 feet apart and not a single person gets shot even though they're all opening fire on each other it's it's just terrible uh, and and even the Andy Lawrence, there's the young tech guy. There's a sequence he's stuck on the planet because he's got to set up the the landing spot, I guess, or I don't know. He's working on comms down on the Earth, and there's just this throwaway scene of him after he set everything up. He's just kind of like sitting around chopping up bananas and eating them, and then he says, oh, "This sucks." And it's supposed to be this cool, relatable moment with this character, but it just falls completely flat on its face. 
Well, I, I do want to talk about the, the one redeeming quality, and we've mentioned it many times, mm-hmm. but I really want to go into detail here. How fucking great is Frazier in this movie? Because he is just a godsend. His 10 minutes of screen time are just, uh, it's, a, it's a thing of beauty, honestly. Uh, every single one of his lines is just, I mean, listen, come on. Or do you want to bet on a dude fucking an alligator? Money plane. <laughs> like, how? How do, you, how do you not? <laughs> I love mean, this that? this movie is like eighty-two minutes long, and if it didn't have Frasier, it would feel like it was four hours long. <laughs> like he is the only uh, energetic force at work here, and yeah, he's he's great because he's just he, all of the scenes are in one location, which might be his backyard, his patio. I don't know. Uh, there's like one of the guy who sits with him. The Edge has one scene with him, and um, like I'm pretty. It's someone's backyard. And he just pretty much just sits around with a laptop and swears and smokes cigars and generally reminds everyone that he's a badass and he doesn't care about people dying. And that's his entire character. And it's a lot of fun. He's he's really, you know, he does everything that's needed to be done. And he kind of reminds you of how awful the rest of the film is. Like as soon as the camera cuts away to, from him to someone else, it's like, uh, open, like, oh man, like bring him back. Come on. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I, the only thing I'll say it, it, about money point is that it was, it was more entertaining than edges. WrestleMania match. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's true. That's, that's true. as much as I can give to the fucking thing. Um, I don't know. Like this, this doesn't make any effort to make any sense. Like I don't know what the screenplay even is. Like I, I guess Kelsey Grammer is the villain because he's double crossing everyone multiple times, but it's never really explained why this is happening. Uh, you would think that he would just stand to gain from having these uh, thieves under his thumb, but instead he's, he's trying to set them up in some way, even though they could easily be traced back to him. I, I, I don't really understand. What's going on in this movie, frankly? Uh, well, greed corrupts, Myros. That's what we learn. Uh, Darius Rucker the Third Rumble is he's <laughs> just a greedy man, and we have to accept that. That's his primary motivation here. I do like, too, how after Edge and his, and his boys realize that like, they can just take all of his money and give it to charity or whatever, and then get rid of the cash or you know, whatever they decide to do and, and fuck him over, um, then the money plane finds out like the Lawrence brother and he sends like a hit, a hitman squad to go after uh, Frazier. And he has, his ending is amazing. It's just him doing the, uh, the bit from Scarface at the end where he just grabs a gun. And it's just like, ah, he just, he just fires that's, it that's at lovely. some off screen enemy that we never see. Oh yeah. And that CGI muzzle flare. Mm, yeah. mwah, beautiful chef's kiss. If 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 Kelsey Grammer were not in this and if that like 15 second clip of him describing the money plane did not circulate on Twitter, nobody would ever see this movie. It it would just vanish into it would be doomed no. to be maybe at, at its best a, a possible caustic content contender, but nobody would know <laughs> yep. this movie otherwise. Exactly. I genuinely exactly. wonder would it would it fare better without Frasier because it which is like you know it would equalize the film because like Frasier reminds you that actors are a thing and actors can <laughs> elevate material and then the rest of the film is just can't live up to that whatsoever like maybe maybe Frasier just completely like unbalances this thing and just destroys it inadvertently by just being competent and looking like he's having a reasonably okay time. It's possible. It's possible. 
I, I don't I, know. Every choice in here makes no sense. Uh, the Lawrence brothers are uh, disgraceful, and uh, that's that. Even Edge is like, you, he's not doing anything, and he seems miserable, but he seems <laughs> to have some level of screen presence that is surprising, considering he's a wrestler. But yeah. uh, they don't have him do anything. They're just like, yeah, oh, he's kind of in this scene yeah, and he's kind of working. Let's move him to the cockpit and put in a bunch of oafs who can't fucking deliver a line for shit. I feel, I feel bad, too, because there's there's like a, a woman on their team who they're clearly trying to like gear up that she's like the real badass. Like she she can handle herself. And like, she, I, I feel like she's trying and, you know, she's trying to work with the material. But like all of her, the fight sequences she has suck. Like they're... The court, I mean, I know this this might be a little bit of a money issue in terms of, you know, doing choreography and action setup, but I mean, it's still the editing and stuff, it's just so unambitious. It's like straight one shot of two people pretending to fight and it's like, uh, okay, you know, I, I, you know, it's clear this is staged and it's not very good. And then there's some CGI where she like pulls the guy's ears off, which is counts as a highlight considering the rest of the film. But yeah. like, it's just so unsupported. Like, I feel like she's... Yeah, I, like everyone's left isolated. The Edge is literally isolated. He literally sits in his own room for a majority of the film, which is a, just such a baffling decision. Yeah. But then the other guys, I mean, they just kind of mill around. They have these conversations that are just terminally uninteresting. The whole concept of the money plane seems like it was, you know, designed to impress a 12-year-old. I think a 12-year-old would be bored out of their mind by this film too. You know, like it's a bunch of like high-rolling gangster gamblers and they like start off by playing some poker and it's like you can play poker legally in a lot of places you don't have to go on the money plane for that <laughs> and then after that they start betting on just goofy shit like a man versus a cobra like how long does he take to die and it's like normally like my understanding of gambling is that you don't actually want to gamble on things that are absolutely random you want to you know have some conception of input into it that's why you bet on like sports and poker you know there's like uh you know, a battle of wits. There's like you play the game. You you know you you check the odds. You work out variables and stuff. And this one is just like a guy on a screen getting eaten by piranhas. Like how long will the piranhas take to eat him? And and the running joke is that the that one McGillicuddy keeps winning inadvertently. Mm-hmm. Um, but like their discussions of everything are incredibly boring and laborious. And then they're like, you know, are there any women on this plane? And they have this awful sequence where a bunch of women show up and like all the guys look like they've never seen a woman before, even <laughs> though they're supposed to be high rolling gamblers. The the film just like at every moment just underwhelms significantly it feels like it 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 feels like it doesn't know who it's for or what it's meant to do and like steve says it's constantly winking to the audience it's constantly because i think honestly because i think they know that the material is not up to snuff they just keep kind of like going like look we're in on this joke together which is really tiresome like that sinks a film uh, yeah. If you're, you know, if you want to do that kind of like dumb humor, you've got to, you got to do like the the Abrams and Zucker guys and like play it straight on screen, and then we'll laugh at it. Mm-hmm. But instead, it's it's everyone's kind of like this sucks, right? And I was like, yeah, it absolutely fucking sucks, and we're all sitting here watching it. I know, I know, you're mad at the gambling, but this isn't a casino, buddy. It's called a money plane. It's a little different, <laughs> all right? A little different setup. Uh, what is yeah. this money playing? According to the trailer, they're they're transporting cryptocurrency. Why the fuck would you money need plane. to transfer cryptocurrency? It's not a physical object. That's not a thing <laughs> one fucking needs a plane to carry across the country. It's on servers, and they fly over international waters. I mean, it's it's very confusing. Considering the fact that the edge just gets on there, and there's 
I mean, we talk about the money planes, like, no one can knock off the money plane. Right, uh, one of the guys' team just turns out to become, like, she just gets a job as an air hostess. And there's a weird thing there where she, she, going on the plane, they're like, they clearly don't know who she is. And she has to go through a metal detector and they ask her, like, hand in your guns. And she, like, hands in her guns. And it's like, wait, you don't know who you're letting on this plane as staff? And also they're bringing weapons (laughs) with you, like... This seems like a very lax security job. Oh, yeah. And then Edge breaks into the cockpit and it's literally there's just two guys and there's just a pilot and a co-pilot in a cockpit that he just and he just punches them and they're unconscious and now he's control of the whole plane. And I'm just wondering how the CIA wouldn't have grounded the money plane decades ago <laughs> based on this. Well, they're in on it. Why didn't they ground Epstein's plane? Exactly. <laughs> oh, oh man, we're current it's, again. Uh, yeah. There's not even like the set design in this movie is really shitty, um, and probably cost, like Steve said off mic, about seventy five dollars. Um, like the airport terminal itself, it's just uh, random blue cloths that are clearly hanging from a series of C stands around the actors, and um, yeah, the the whole it, flying in uncharted waters it doesn't it just doesn't make any sense. I do I do wonder why they don't, like, I mean, since the whole thing, they're like, you know, look how shitty this is, like, why didn't they just green screen everything? Like, fuck, they might as well have. They're just going to hang shit in the background. You know, green screen in a plane. Do it. I, okay, so you said that the, one of the team gets a job as, a, as an air hostess, which we not only would probably take months of training, but to also be the hostess of the money plane, uh, which I believe they got the job two days prior to them taking off um but like all the seemingly difficult shit they have to do in this movie all happens off screen because at the very end they also rob the uh painting that the rumble is trying to find but we don't even see that happen because these guys just go into a warehouse and unload a painting it's just a drawing of a stick figure giving a middle finger and there's just there's just all this lame work around around the like complicated shit yeah, they had to make uh, time for the most irritating shit imaginable. It's hard to even describe how inept and, and boring and irritating the, the whole sequence on the actual money plane is. It's fucking dreadful. Like, it goes from that uh, that cringe, like, hookers uh, servicing the, the criminals to this poker game that is just the most obnoxious and poorly filmed thing you'll ever see into this Russian roulette thing, which is even worse somehow. And yeah, like in the middle of the poker game, for some reason, one of the thugs just like uh, punches out an effeminate uh, male flight attendant for no reason, just out of the blue. And I'm like, I I don't even know what the fuck is happening here. I just know that I despise it. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, it it all comes down to just lack of ambition. Like, I I think that's the real point is like this, like they could have workshopped the script to make it make some sense that wouldn't cost money. And they still could have included most of the stuff they included. They could have just explained it. And they didn't bother. Like, this just feels like a movie. I don't know how these guys manage. Like, it's it's really hard to make a movie. So how did these guys just make a movie without doing any of the legwork, seemingly? It's it's kind of unusual to me. I, I guess they have a lot of money, uh, you know. <laughs> I guess they should get with Steven Grew. Because, like, honestly, they can get where he needs to get between them. Uh, yeah, I, I don't understand how you allocate some of this money. Like, why the fuck would you pay <laughs> Denise Richards to be in this movie? Why the fuck would you pay Thomas Jane? All he does is sit in a room and mumble and pilot a drone to assassinate people or something. It's like, he plays video games for a little while. 
Yeah, that, that's called money you should not spend in your movie because it adds fucking nothing. Yeah, I, I would agree. I would agree. I get. I mean, Disney. Yeah, does Disney's Richards really have pull? If you if you put her on your your movie poster, does that say, oh, this is quality? I, I don't. I don't know. Yeah, when's the last theatrically released movie that Denise Richards has been? <laughs> that's a great question. Uh, I mean, she's a, she's a big star on Real Housewives of Beverly Hills, so that's that's nothing to you know sniff at there. That's that's some real shit. Uh, although, I, I mean, I, frankly. I'm just saying, like, honestly, if she's on Real Housewives Beverly Hills, they could do an episode on her filming this, and there they'd have more content there than she has in the movie. And it would look better. she That's the other thing that's weird, too. She <laughs> looks so much better on that show than she does here. You watch Money Play, and you're like, damn, Denise Richards looks kind of old, and Edge looks like he could use a hair dye job, and everybody just kind of <laughs> looks like shit. Uh, except for Fraser, He looks great. Uh, but yeah, like Denise Richards on Real Housewives looks a million times better. You watch that show, you're like, oh, she really hasn't aged much. She's doing great. Good for her. She could yell at some other woman about the, you know, the silverware placement at a tea party. That's that's a good that's some good conflict. Okay, I, I believe I have the answer, by the way. I, I think it is uh, Medea's Witness Protection in 2012. Oh, classic, classic. Oh, no. We all love it. Do do we think do we think this has franchise legs? Do we think we can have like money train and money boat and money kite? Isn't there already oh, a get, money you're train? You're getting more money plane. Yeah, there's already a money oh, train. Fuck. Yeah, Wesley Wesley, Wesley <laughs> they wrote snipes. they wrote themselves into Wesley Yeah, they wrote snipes. themselves into a corner then. Damn, yeah. they they didn't even think of any of the permutations. No, they didn't. Yeah. Uh, well, and in in the uh, the Ringer interview, the uh, the oral history, they actually ask him that they asked the Lawrence brothers point blank. They're like uh, did you guys use Money Train as an inspiration? They're like, no, we don't know what that is. We have never seen it. <laughs> what, so what are we good. doing here? We, we, we're now a part of this. The fact that this is somehow meriting a ringer feature is abhorrent. And now we're culpable. We're culpable. That's right. So Adam, we're, right. we're, we're, not, Rick, we're not responsible for elevating the discourse. That's not what we do. Well, ever. Fair enough. <laughs> now we de-elevate all the discourse. But yeah, this is, this is fucking... This is normie bad cinema. It's it's not worth your time. There's a million other things you could be watching that are a lot more fun and a lot more interesting, frankly. And I guarantee you there will, there will be a sequel probably in 2021 once the old uh, pandemic wraps up. And I will, if this were the money plane, I would bet the house on them taking the money plane into space. It's going to be a money spaceship for the next one. That's that's my big bet. You watch. It's going to happen. It's going to fucking happen. And Frazier will be back. He will reprise his role, and uh, he'll he'll be like he'll like get up from some his burning house covered in soot and blood, and and then he'll he'll somehow try to rob the money plane. He'll be he'll be Darius Rucker the fourth. Easy, yeah, Darius Rucker the fourth for sure. <laughs> All right, guys. Well, let's move on to the next movie we got in our lineup. Um, you know, it wouldn't be summer blockbuster season without a Mel Gibson movie. So uh, yeah, we watch Force of Nature. There's a storm right now, 160 miles per hour. To perhaps devastate Puerto Rico. If your dad doesn't want to leave, I can't force him. Help me get him out of this building. Policia! Take it easy! Take it easy! Yeah, this fucking sucked. <laughs> Actually... Is like worse than money play. <laughs> it's, it's hard to say. I, I like what the theory behind this with one. Lives? They're like, they're like, damn, you know, we we've got Mel on board because he'll work for five dollars now. So what's better than one ostracized, abusive piece of shit 
former Hollywood star. And the producer looks over and he goes, I'll tell you what's better. If you get two of them, where's Emil Hirsch? Get my fucking phone. And they called up Emil Hirsch and here he is. So we got two pieces of shit, a piece of shit movie. And uh, it's also got like one of the side characters from Dexter in it and a woman that I've definitely seen in things before but can't place her. So Kate Bosworth? Yeah, another... Uh, oh yeah, there you go, Bosworth. Yeah. No, uh, and then who's who's the uh, the woman cop? The woman cop. Uh, I don't know. She she's South, she's like a South American. She's like a Peruvian pop star apparently. Like okay. she and I think she's acting in some stuff, but this is her first English language role. Okay. And frankly, she probably comes out best from this whole enterprise. Yeah, is Kate Bosworth okay? Doesn't seem like she should be doing this right now. Is well, she's married to the director, so oh, I mean, that's on her. This yeah. or the Island on Netflix is what she's been oh, doing. Oh God, that. Yeah, I mean, who? Oh, no, well, sure, she's not an abuser like the other two mentioned, but she's equally a washout of Hollywood. So yeah. they got the uh, full speed yeah. going. I mean, if you had, if you had yeah, two scumbag, uh, abusive assholes who were going to build the movie around, which which one would you make the star? I, I personally would probably go with Mel. He's a little more magnetic than Emil Hirsch. <laughs> I would agree. Emil Hirsch is fucking terrible. I cannot believe that Emil Hirsch was like you know, award season darling like five years ago. It's just, it's fucking ridiculous to me. He's, he's a terrible, terrible actor. And also, he's, he's a guy that uh, I, I was just going to say, like the, the director, I, I don't know. He hasn't really done much, uh, anything a note, at least just a bunch of trash. Uh, if we're sticking with the Mel and Emil combo, uh, why not let Shank Ruth direct? He hasn't done anything in a while. Don't you think he could elevate this material? <laughs> Oh, <laughs> this podcast is immediately. Uh, well, I do. <laughs> now we've gotten sad. <laughs> I think the problem here I mean, is, is whatever we whatever we learn about Shane Krupp, etc. He is unlikely to direct a film in which the opening monologue or opening voiceover is literally literally explains storms and Puerto Rico to its audience as if either of those things might be confusing. Puerto Rico. It rains sometimes. Yeah, it's like storms are dangerous and Puerto Rico is a place where Americans live. And that's like their their setup for for it and like and there's a storm coming to Puerto Rico just to clarify where we are because apparently I guess a lot of Americans don't understand the concept of that place. And then the rest of the film is just I mean it, it, to sum up this film it is utterly generic. It has it has a budget unlike Money Plane to kind of reach a plateau of normalcy in what it's presenting but it is com like there's nothing here you haven't seen done better a hundred times before it's just absolutely mind-meltingly ordinary and yeah it's it's a this is probably honestly out of the films we're talking about this is my least favorite because i was just so bored like at least yeah. money playing was kind of like well, someone fucked up there, but this one is just sort of like, uh, someone just did the absolute, like, bare, ordinary minimum to do this thing. Um, absolutely garbage film. Yeah, Fucking aside from the inclusion awful. of Mel Gibson, it doesn't really feel like a 2020 movie. It feels like something out of, like, the mid-aughts. Like, this has a very, uh, uh, just the look of the whole thing is, it's like the piss and shit filter. So the, you know, the Tony Scott's Domino that's that's what this whole thing looks like. Just just color gels and weirdness. I feel I feel like maybe this is like 
came off the back of Dragged Across Concrete, because, like, Dragged Across Concrete hit, like, a lot of buttons for, like, it's pissing off the lefties and whatever, you know, and they hired Mel Gibson, who's a, you know, who better to piss off the lefties than a straight-up racist misogynist, <laughs> uh, you know? Like, that's really On triggers the libs by being an actual anti-Semite. Uh, you know, like, it's really, it's great. So, but, like, I feel like that that movie got a little bit of discussion of being, like, you know, it's politically incorrect. It, you know, it, it's all, you know, it kind of pushes buttons. It makes people uncomfortable, you know, which is what uh, Craig S. Zoller does, or S. Craig Zoller. I don't remember how what order that all goes in. But um, this movie has this, a similar kind of a, an attempt in that it starts off with a bunch of police officers basically whining about how they know best, but people won't listen to cops. And they're like, well, you, you have to go and rescue the people. You got to get them to evacuate because the storm's coming. And they're all like, well, we're just cops. I mean, I know we're here to help people, but no one listens to cops. We're the sad, like we have such difficult lives. And that's like the, the setup for the whole film. And then like, when Emil Hirsch's character's backstory is revealed for why he's so fucking moody, it turns out that his ex-girlfriend, who used to be a cop, he ended up killing her uh, accidentally in a situation because he got called to, like, a, a gun report, and there was, there, like, you know, someone with a gun in a building, and he and his girlfriend went there, and uh, there was no gun, but he still managed to kill his girlfriend, which pretty much is, like, the absolute, like, Classic. stereotype of what cops are, is, like, there's no danger here, and still someone manages to get gunned down. Uh, the film has, like, like, it just feels like it's in a little echo chamber of, like, you know, let's, you know, cops are, like, they mean business and they're cool, but, you know, they don't have respect anymore because the fucking liberals or whatever. Yeah. But the whole thing just stinks to high heaven. It, it can't really build on it at all. See, I don't even know. I don't even know if this is like straight up, like provoke the libs action cinema. It feels very third way action cinema. Like there are bad cops, but some cops are actually good. Mel Gibson yeah, yeah. is a racist, but also got that a good other guy. character, Mr. Big Cat, who who uh, yeah. has like oh, a... <laughs> I stole all the meat, but I'm trying to feed the tiger that I keep in my closet. <laughs> right, but he's got a backstory where he was like uh, assaulted by white police officers and then uh, fled to Puerto Rico, which is the, it, uh, apparently this movie should have explained Puerto Rico in the opening because I, it made me more confused about the nature of Puerto Rico. It doesn't seem to have <laughs> any Puerto Ricans in it. Apparently, no. <laughs> Puerto Rico is just like a, a haven for expats and nothing else. <laughs> it's got it's that Miami. one police. They, they've got the one that that other female police officer who speaks Spanish once or twice to clarify that, she, you know, Puerto Rico rather than, you know, pretty much uh, every city like some suburb or whatever would have the same thing. But this is Puerto Rico. It's very important. It really doesn't use the uh, location at all. Like, really, you could have set this in any number of places. And the storm is kind of an afterthought. Frank, like, the storm is really just an excuse to have the guys go out to give an evacuation order, which you really could have done anything with. Like, they, they show up. At, like, it's basically it turns into Die Hard to some degree in that the, the police go to this housing project to get people to leave and then armed villains pile in and they're trapped. And, like, you don't need a storm for that. There's not really any kind of, like necessity there like so it's kind of amazing that a film that's kind of like staked itself very decidedly on being set in puerto rico and you know having a storm neither of those things are critical in any sense to the actual film structure or outcomes so that's a choice i guess i don't know if puerto rico had like a tax break for filming there because i think they did film there at least why they did they could have been filmed at a fucking soundstage yeah 
Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. <laughs> no, I, I agree with Jake. I think they came up with the title first. Go, go ahead. Like action, well, I say, yeah, let's do it. Action movie, one location in a hurricane. We'll call it Force of Nature. Great. Let's fill in the details. Yeah. Elevator uh, pitch. Shit. Beautiful. Okay. One guy's got a tiger. Uh, there's a 50-year-old Nazi with uh, stolen art in his apartment. Or uh, is he a Nazi? Hmm. <laughs> There's why would you not? So not only is the casting of Emil Hirsch, I mean, gross, but he's also miscast as the the seemingly veteran cop who's seen so many years of service that his opening is literally cribbed from Lethal Weapon. He's sitting in his bathroom with his gun in his mouth, um, and which is also doubly weird that you have Mel Gibson in this movie who was famous for doing that sequence. Um, yeah, it's just. I'll say there was a time where I thought this movie was maybe better than Money Plane, but that might have just been a Gibson selling the stuffing out of his small role. But yeah, once he leaves, it just becomes an interminable slog to the finish line. I, I couldn't I couldn't really bear to look at what was happening. I I I really hate this thing. I gotta say, I what <laughs> what is the nature of like so? Is am I misinterpreting this, or did Emil Hirsch? Mel Gibson and Kate Bosworth all moved to Puerto Rico from New York for some reason so that Mel Gibson yep. can know that this guy's a cop killer or something. Yeah, yeah. What That's are the correct. chances, huh? Yeah, what are the odds? What are the odds? I mean, small town like New York City, it doesn't surprise me. The script is so, like, I mean, we've got the guy who's got a tiger in his closet oh, for, I, I, if there's a reason for that, I don't know why. But if anyone would like to take bets on how the main villain dies... Uh, I'll give you a clue. <laughs> it might involve an unusual, dangerous asset that's been built into the script for seemingly no other reason. Um, I love the concept that this Nazi or, or son of Nazis who has all this stolen art, like art that the Nazis stole, famous internationally renowned art worth billions and he's just hidden it among this housing unit in Puerto Rico and of course the stupid Puerto Ricans don't recognize any of this stuff's value uh, like what the hell kind of a plot point is that plus people are just gonna like what just move the paintings if they don't like them or damage them like it just it's such a goofy plot line um yeah it, this film is just absolutely inane and it just it just uh, i guess if bonnie plane doesn't do enough to kind of sort through its content this one does the absolute bare minimum to kind of clarify why any given sequence is happening but it just it's so tired and lifeless it's really like i mean the shot like the the fighting and the gun fight sequences there's no like there's not even a memorable kill in this there's not like a sequence in a fist fight that has any kind of meaningful grit there's two guys just wrestling in some water at one point um it, it's really it's just like a sh it, it just degrades into a film full of people holding guns and walking in and out of doors for like 30 minutes and again, this movie's like 90 minutes long total, but that's pretty much it. It, it like almost turns into fucking House Hunters International, but with guns. <laughs> and this apartment well, complex is just like, again, what the fuck are we writing into this script? Like, there's an apartment just filled with machine guns for some reason. There's an apartment with a, uh, a panther cage or what the fuck ever. There's an apartment with like an industrial bank vault as the front door. <laughs> It's like, this is not a place that exists in reality. Why are we fucking writing this There's, this way? 
there's one sequence where they use like literally enough C4 explosive to like level an entire apartment complex like they use like four blocks of c4 and they stick it on one single door and when they detonate it the door is intact but falls off the hinges <laughs> so i don't know it, it, they're building stuff in puerto rico to standards that are unheard of in the rest of the world so why does this german art thief fellow have this bank vault front door when the art is in fact not in his apartment what what purpose does it's a that decoy say? But that wasn't even... The, his apartment was also not the decoy. There was a separate decoy apartment. Yeah, it's a double decoy and also the film's stupid. <laughs> so That's exactly right. Like, how, yeah. how does it fit in... How does it fit in with the first sequence where the, where the bad guy goes into a, like, basically, like, walks into a bank with just guns, hell, like, they, they're not even hiding that they have guns, and they push a woman into a, into a room and get her to open a safety deposit box, and then they just shoot her in the middle of the bank, and then he leaves the bank and has a conversation with a guy in a parked car for a while, uh, you know, after having just shot someone right in the middle of a bank, and it's like... Just Puerto Rico, and then and then it cuts back to the police station where apparently they're fielding no calls that day. You, nothing about this film really has. There's no urgency or interconnection. It just feels like it's just floating in the middle of, I don't know, floating in the middle of nothingness because no one wants this film. No one's looking for this. No, you know. Apparently, oh, we are. <laughs> can I say that the the villain is also you need you need your uh, great villain to carry a diehard type movie, but. This guy's fucking pathetic, and he's just again the writing is just so awful. He he inexplicably knows Emil Hirsch's character's name. He oh, knows yeah. his backstory, and they're like, "Well, how could you know that?" And he's like, "I'm John the Baptist. I know everything." It's like, "Fuck you, movie. <laughs> Fuck off and write this into the script if you want to put it in there." How do you name him John the Baptist, and in the end, he doesn't get decapitated. He just gets fucked up by <laughs> a large drowned cat. by the hurricane. Yeah, that would be good too. Or the he, ultimate baptism, or anything. But not just—he doesn't just know Emil Hirsch. Everybody knows everybody in this movie because they go to—they uh, <laughs> go to Mel Gibson's apartment to try to evacuate him, and then he's like, "Hey, you're that guy, right, Cardillo? What? Tell me how that go down." And then later on, when they figure out what's going on, Mel Gibson has like this monologue going, "Yeah, his name's John the Baptist. Couple guys in the precinct I know. You try to get him all these years. Looks like he's finally come home, or something like that." Everybody actually, knows everybody. He actually says they've been trying to get him for months. I'm like, what the exactly. That's right. For months. That was what the struggle. <laughs> like, oh we were working God. on this case for months, and it hasn't fallen into our lap. Yet. <laughs> like you've been working on, you work on every case for months. Jesus Christ. Oh God. All right. Well, before we move on to the last movie, I want to, I want to do a little something here. I, I have a little thought experiment for you guys. So I want you to close your eyes for a minute. And I want you to visualize a fusion, a force of nature, and money plane. Imagine, if you will, that Edge is removed from money plane and replaced by Mel Gibson. What kind of movie do we have there? Are you picturing it? Jake, do you have this beautiful visual in your mind right now? Mm, it's a visual. <laughs> okay, all right. So here we go. You ready? You ready? It's called a money plane. No money! Or do you want to bet on a dude fucking an alligator? Money plane. No money! I don't give a fuck who's on that plane. No money! Money plane! No money! Money plane! Give me back my son! What do you think? Better movie? Better movie? 
It need, needs more coughing. <laughs> it, should, it should be noted that in this movie that, that Mel Gibson is like, has a breathing issue. So like, like half of his on-screen dialogue is just coughing. Okay, yeah. okay, wait, wait, wait. So, so hold on, hold on. Another alternate okay. universe. Mel Gibson plays Emile Hirsch's character in Force of Nature. Don't you understand English, you useless piece of shit? You just need that line. That's all you need, right? That's... <laughs> That's just the entire Emile Hirsch character. I'm damaged and slightly racist. Ugh. It's like, I moved, to, I moved to Puerto Rico and everyone's speaking Spanish. Absolutely ridiculous. Unbelievable. Uh, man, oh, God. I don't want to participate in this thought experiment. I, I Combine <laughs> these two movies, it might be just the end times. Money plan! Uh, okay. Well, you know, here's my here's my combination of these two movies. I would like I would like to take the runtime of Force of Nature and subtract the runtime <laughs> of Money Plane, and I'm left with eight minutes. I think I can get through. That sounds great. That's just the soundboard stacked end to end, pretty much. That's that's all you need, really. You got a great movie then. All right. Well, why don't we move on to our last movie? So uh, we had two fabulous uh, direct-to-video, video-on-demand action flicks. Why not some video-on-demand horror? Let me show you out back, and then I'll get out of your hair. The stars are insane out here. I should have brought the telescope. What do you need a telescope in the city for? Unless you're like a peeping Tom or something. That's right. It's Dave Franco, and he dropped the ball because he didn't name this fucking movie Scare B&B. It's The Rental. Jake, your favorite movie of all time, yes? You know, it could possibly do for Airbnbs what Psycho did for motels. Oh, is, is that the, the sweet dulcet tones of acclaimed critic David Ehrlich that I hear? The one and only. <laughs> oh, I love it. Love it, love it, love it. He's, that's his favorite little combination. I mean, he likes X plus Y equals Z, but he's really big on does for X what Y did for Z. Yeah. It's really good. Really good. And, and the best thing is that all of his, his formulations that require you to know nothing about the film beyond what would be told to you in the trailer anyway. And it's like, this is, involves an Airbnb. Psycho involves a motel. That's, that's it. I don't know if Ehrlich remembers any of the films he talks about, but... Yeah, this this film, um, surprise, surprise, uh, sucks. So, can we wrap up now or are we done? <laughs> Why didn't we watch that Relic movie? Who, who the fuck made us watch this one? That, that, seemed, that seemed very classy. I don't know. It's got, what, what's her name? Emily Mortimer in it. She it's surely would horror. not be associated with this nonsense. Well, God, at least yeah. we would have had something to discuss. But <laughs> no. I thought we, we watched The Rental because we thought it would be better. Yeah. yeah, I mean, the relic sounds like it could be good, or the rental, rather, not the relic. Uh, like, the rental sounds like it could be good. Um, I mean, Dave Franco, it's his directorial debut. Dave Franco is not really much of anything, frankly, in what I've seen of him. But, uh, you know, he's he's not James Franco, so he has that going for him. But um, uh, it's co-written by Joe Swanberg. Joe Swanberg has done good things. I'm a fan of some of his work. Maybe, maybe there's something here. It's co-written between him and Franco. But, um... The, uh, like, I would say this is probably the best of the batch, and I've come to that determination solely because this is the only movie that has ingredients noteworthy enough that I had to think about it a little bit before realizing that the film sucks. Um, you know, kind of like, I, kn I knew the film wasn't entertaining. That was readily apparent from watching the film. I was like, I'm not enjoying this, and I don't give a shit what happens to anyone. That was very obvious up front. But at least there were, like, elements of, like, 
these guys are like tech startup company and they're going to Airbnb who are a tech startup company that have done untold damage to the international housing market. Um, you know, is there something there? Is there a commentary? It's like, uh, you know, they're the good guys and then the owner of the Airbnb seems like he's a racist asshole, but like, is he, Is maybe they're not so good either. You know, it's playing with these elements in the film of like, who's the good guy? Who's the bad guy? Are they... You know, is there miscommunication, overstepping, etc., etc.? Then it kind of turns into a slasher movie. It turns out that there's like a third-party masked killer, um, which is interesting because I mean, kind of a, a silent masked killer is kind of I don't I've not seen one of those in a movie in a while where they don't reveal who the person is. Like it's a genuine kind of like faceless nobody, like kind of a specter of death, like Michael Myers or Jason Voorhees or something. Um, so it has these elements all floating around in it, and it's like. This could be interesting, but uh, frankly, the movie adds up to absolutely squat. It's a completely banal, boring experience to watch it. And it doesn't help that, like, frankly, once he starts killing the main characters, like, great, get rid of them faster. I mm. could not care less what happens to any of them. Uh, there's a French bulldog wandering around. That's the only character in the entire film that I gave even a tiny bit of a shit about. And uh, that's that's probably not a great start for a movie. Bunch of bitches. <laughs> that's a, that's a... <laughs> Perfectly timed. <laughs> that's it. That's, that's it. That's, that's, all that's the that's film. A, that's the film. That's the film. Uh, Jake, what do you think of this one? Oh god. Um, yeah, I, I I'm beyond the point where atmosphere cannot get me by on a horror movie alone anymore. And this this wants to be a moody tense film but it's really it's kind of awkwardly split in half there's this uh this relationship drama that takes up the first half and then yeah it just becomes an anonymous slasher movie in the second half and none of it none of it coheres or gels together in any satisfying way uh like even the last five minutes of this movie genuinely pissed me off um and i actually looked at a, a interview with dave franco after i watched it and he said that he wanted to make a film that entertains the idea of what would happen if somebody rented an Airbnb and then they made a copy of a key and came back and started killing people. But that element of the movie does not come back into play until literally the last five minutes of the film. And then he also says that he wanted to have these unsympathetic characters punished for their wrongdoings. And the person interviewing him asked, what about Alison Bree? She didn't do anything wrong. And then G. Franco says, yeah, but she didn't call the police. And that's pretty wrong. So, <laughs> <laughs> Wow. A lot, a lot of thought went into this one. Yeah. He's, he's describing like every 80s slasher movie. Yeah. It's like, that's, that's the oldest trope is like, oh yeah. Teens punished for their indiscretions. That's what fucking happens. That's just, like yeah it's a weirdly conservative film like they always are but like again with just no thought like it's it's we've had 30 plus years of i mean frank we've had 40 years almost of discussing slasher movies and dave franco has turned around like it's fucking 1981 and he's like made a big discovery oh. you know you know who the, the first victim is in uh dave franco's the rental the first the first victim to get slashed is cancel culture buddy that's right <laughs> Because the, the fucking old guy. <laughs> it's so it's so like transparently <sighs> stupid, too. It's just like, oh, the maintenance man must be the leering pervert because he's definitely a racist piece of shit. It's like, yeah, he is. And then it's like, well, you shouldn't have murdered him. Like, well, thanks. Appreciate that. Thank you for this beautiful red herring that's like the most obvious shit from the absolute get-go. Like, 
and I love that it also comes out it comes out in the film it's like uh, the brother is like they mention hey he went to prison for nearly beating someone to death when he was a teenager but I think he's okay now and then like literally the first time anything happens in the movie he just runs in and beats a guy nearly to death and that's like his only method of coping with anything and he's apparently been in like a, a, a growing relationship with another character and doing really well and it's like who functions like that and doesn't make any sense the way he just runs in and starts beating the crap out of this guy it the film again just can't quite get where it needs to go without leaps no the 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 tipping point doesn't make any sense it would work it would work in a straightforward genre film but this doesn't want to be one of those but it's definitely not better than any slasher film you've ever seen because it's an incompetent slasher it's a totally incompetent slasher because it doesn't commit to the premise it, it treats the whole two-thirds of the movie like it's this thing about it's like some psychological melodrama about i i guess you could go that route where there's no actual killer uh but you know maybe there's a mastermind who's pitting these people against each other and they end up just kind of being their own undoing but then why the fuck do we have the masked guy in a ha- with a hammer just often people left and right it, it just it doesn't work together. There is, there's two movies fighting each other here. Yeah, it's the most weird fucking coincidence ever. You think that, you think that there's somebody in the know who's like using the camera. We should mention there's they so they find cameras in their shower heads, and two of the characters who are business partners but not uh, in a romantic relationship. Uh, have sex in the shower and then the, there's this question about whether or not the footage is going to get leaked and um but then it's this guy who uh, is somehow has everybody's cell phone numbers and he's texting them the footage and displaying it on the tvs because he hacked the the airbnb but yeah the 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 slasher guy in the second half who we never learn the identity of is completely inexplicable uh it it just it does not work yeah, you want to make the movie about an insidious landlord who murders uh, people he rents to. Great. Make that fucking movie. You didn't. You did not make that movie. You didn't really intend to make that movie. You're being dishonest. This is not that movie at all. I'd enjoy that movie, maybe. Yeah. The script really has the feeling of like something that Swanberg and Franco wrote literally over a weekend. Like it really it feels like this was put together super fast. And then the direction of the film is sort of like frankly i mean everything rests really in the score which is a very insistent kind of like low throbbing sinister kind of musical thing that's the only thing suggesting that like anything is particularly you know like you that you're supposed to feel tense about anything because you kind of don't really care for the most part in what's happening like i said the only tension is that like these dumbasses leave a french bulldog wandering around on cliffs for pretty much the whole movie they just like let the dog <laughs> walk around outside and it's like you don't do that with dogs on a cliff that's a terrible <laughs> idea but that's fine they do that and the dog at the end wanders back in and you realize that it didn't matter anyway uh, like like everything else in the movie it didn't matter and, and then the big summation of like the end credits is like we have a bunch of airbnb camera footage from the the killer like of i guess his subsequent victims that he has cameras and airbnbs and it's supposed to i guess supplant this idea that you know it's like we've we've uh kind of forgone we've forgone a lot of our privacy in the in the name of convenience you know in the digital age which is like the absolute most like like yeah you think 
kind of like conclusion like i had an, i watched this with with my wife and we had like she had an argument with me well not really an argument but she's like how old is dave franco and joe swanberg because like this feels like a movie a 50 year old made in terms of like its realizations about digital tech culture and stuff and like they're they're not they're like in their like late 30s uh, Dave Franco, I think, is in its early 30s. Yeah, he's 34. He's, he's uh, yeah, same age as me. Yeah. So it's like these two guys got together and, like, just made a movie that seems like it's made by, like, an out-of-touch 50-year-old who's like, hey, kids, all them cameras are gonna come back and get you. Like, okay, cool, great. That's the movie, then. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. I just wish, yeah, I just wish it was a slasher because it's set up, it treats its characters like a slasher would. It makes you hate them and almost... Uh, root for them to get their comeuppance but uh then again it's also trying to have this sort of pathos of like a swanberg approach to these urban youths uh but again those two things don't mesh because i don't give a shit about these characters because they're awful and that's great if jason Voorhees is going to bust in and smash him with a machete and that's the purpose of your movie but if you're trying to make some point you failed miserably Mm -hmm. yeah yeah, I agree. Yeah. Well, and I, I don't even understand. Like, I get that they're shitty people. Sure, sure. But the whole realization where, okay, there's cameras in the shower and then we can't call the cops. All right. And then we confront the maintenance man and then we beat the shit out of him because he was trying to. Call. Why are they? I mean, yeah, don't call the fucking cops. Fuck cops. But. Why, why are they so against calling the police? What, they're obsessed with the notion, like, are, are they this, this fucking stupid? Is that the idea? This notion that if they call the police, then somehow their respective partners will discover their infidelity. Like, that's, right. how is that, it doesn't, it doesn't seem, like, why would the footage ever be seen by anyone? It doesn't, it doesn't make any sense at all. And then you introduce this, this whole element of this, you know, this nameless, faceless killer, but there's no evidence that he's, he's killing other people. Like, it seems like based on the ending, he just likes to watch people repeatedly inside of these Airbnbs, you know, in intimate moments and not so intimate moments. There's no, there's no follow-up where he's actually murdering these people. So I don't, I don't understand that part of it either. It seems like he's just voyeuristic, but then he's Did got this the whole murdery subplot. image in the, the credit before the credits roll? No, I think I was checked out. Yeah. I mean, I, 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 think I, I saw like the someone or something. There, yeah, there's, oh, there's okay. the, like okay. the final like voyeur shot is him like popping out of a closet with a hammer and getting somebody while they're in the bedroom. But and then it like okay. cuts okay. to black, black, black. All right, but yeah. Well, that's but, that's yeah. my. I'm sorry, Dave Franco melted my brain, so I was I was kind of checked out at that point. But yeah, it, it still is odd to me that nobody called the police at at any point. It's just it, it's it's a really odd twist and the whole thing it's it feels like two separate movies yeah you do have to wonder at what point is like i don't want my significant other to find out i've cheated on them versus i don't want to be in front of court on a murder one rap <laughs> and i feel like most people can kind of weigh that up easily enough. Yeah, think. but not so. these guys they're venture capitalists their brains work differently they got that that elon it's, musk uh, yeah brain. That's, that's yeah, no, I mean, this is literally a movie where someone, like, could have just, like, 70 minutes in, someone could have just pulled off a mask and been a lizard person, and it frankly would have worked just as well as anything else, because the film doesn't really have a, a kind of a genre, it's doing well, so why not just do something else? Um, it, yeah, it, it certainly doesn't bode well for... 
uh, where Franco may go from here. Uh, you know, it's, I, it's is it better than the disaster artist from James Franco? I like I don't no. maybe. Um, I mean, I feel like the disaster artist is easier to sit through, but it's just an incredibly shitty film in terms of how it treats Tommy Wiseau and his, you know, that's a separate issue. But like, there's just really shitty films by kind of like that kind of showcase a kind of a, a like these guys shouldn't be doing what they're doing. They shouldn't be able to. They're not gifted at it. They're like famous. They can do whatever they want. Do this. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, like they, they just they managed to navigate to a point where they can make these things. And it's like they're I'd say you could throw a rock in a crowded street and hit someone who could make a film as good as the rental. Yeah, yep. yeah. I mean, I, I guess I I mean, Dave Fr- or Dave Franco, James Franco is uh, by all accounts a real piece of shit. But at least uh, he's got like some screen presence over Dave. I, I have not seen anything from Dave Franco that I'm remotely interested in, frankly. Are you not into Now You See Me Too? <laughs> uh, I'll take a hard pass. I, I mean, James Franco's very hit and miss, but I've seen him do some acting that is interesting. Uh, mm-hmm. Again, he seems to be uh, an asshole but, uh, and, and should not be directing movies because he can't do it well. But uh, yeah. Did he do I, a William Faulkner adaptation or something a couple years back? I think he did like As yeah, I Lay I Dying think- or Sound and Fury. Yeah, okay. He's, he's got a I think that's coming. Movie. I don't think that's out yet, is it? I don't remember. I don't care. <laughs> it's weird with, with the rental. There's this these weird um, setups that seemingly go nowhere. Um, like, so we mentioned the dog and the cliff, and it's, I guess you're supposed to fear that the dog, the dog is always, uh, it's a, just such a lame fucking trope when the dog is off first to show that there's a threat to be had but then there's also a scene where Alison Brie retires early for one night and she's asleep in the bedroom and some like soot falls under her face from like the vent above and then I was thinking oh is there going to be a guy like hiding in the walls there's nobody hiding in the walls um and then there's also this matter with this uh the the basement is locked up with a keypad and you think there's something horrible and insidious going inside but no it's just a regular basement there's nothing in there I don't know. It just seems, oh, it seems like a bunch of waste of time. I like how they break into this basement and then it's just like a fucking basement with shit uh, on the ground. And they're like, oh, my God, it's so creepy. I'm like, it looks like a fucking storage shed, you imbeciles. Yeah. Well, and then they and get they're the also one guy- doing this in the in service of trying to beat a murder, like staging this like the guy just fell off the cliff himself. Yeah. And now they're like openly doing breaking and entering. <laughs> Right, yeah, great well, stuff. The, the one it, guy finds some Polaroids, though, right? He finds some Polaroids, and then Alison Brie's like, what are those? <laughs> or maybe he's with the other woman. I can't remember. But it's the other woman. But yeah. She's like, what are those? And, and he's just like, hey, you, you don't, you don't want to know what these are. It's like, well, can, can you show us? What? <laughs> nope. Like they're, just, they're just sexy Polaroids, and that's like they're in... Because pro- cancel culture has brought them into someone else's private space, and they're interlopers, but they're, they think they're, you know, they think they're righteous, you know? I mean, you could follow it, because, I mean, I was joking kind of when I watched the movie. I'm like, it's about cancel culture. But, I mean, that's frankly... I think that's the best I can come up for, for come, come up with for what this might at all be about. Because, like we said, it's like nothing comes about from it it just it doesn't work as a genre film it's not 
twisting the genre in a way that subverts anything. It so sure it's it's uh, it's about anti cancel culture tract, which fits in with the fact that the film feels like it was just made by like a grumpy fifty year old mm -hmm. who's like pissed off about the kids these days. Like that's the bet. Which I I mean I guess fits with slashers films, but slasher films at least give me a bunch of gore or whatever you know um so it doesn't even do that it's just a waste of time absolutely all right well i think that's about all we can say about the rental because you know frankly there's not much to say uh not a lot of winners this week but uh myros what are you putting over this week clearly you had to experience something that was better than what we watched uh i was playing paper mario i guess i'll put over paper mario the origami king because uh, that's basically how i spent my off time this week when i wasn't watching this fucking dreck uh <laughs> it's nice it's a beautiful game it's uh it's fun to play i'm enjoying myself i've nearly finished it uh yeah give it a shot there's not a, a ton out on the old switch recently and this is uh one you could sink some time into and enjoy yourself all right. Uh, Jake, what are you putting over this week? Uh, I'm going to put over a film called The Unspeakable Act. It's a film directed by Dan Salit, whose uh, most recent film, 14, uh, was actually released this year. And I, I would recommend you also watch that. It's one of the best films I've seen this year, uh, as opposed to Money Plane, which is one of the worst. Um, but yeah, The Unspeakable Act, it's a, uh, an excellent film about um, this girl who has a, uh, a very deep relationship with her brother which uh may or may not border on being incestuous but um it's a it's a very tricky subject matter but uh it's handled very well and uh the lead actress's performance uh tally medell is uh, incredible um so if you can find that i would recommend checking it out if not uh, check out 14 also good all right jack what are you putting over uh, I'm going to put over a film that kind of subverts a slasher or works like a slasher in an unexpected way. Um, no rental. That is better than the rental. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> not that one. I'm going to put over Dreadnought uh, by Yun Wu Ping, uh, which is a really great 1981 uh, martial arts film from Hong Kong. It's got some spectacular martial arts fight sequences, but it also has just like a crazed killer who loses his wife in the first sequence and just basically becomes like almost a vengeful spirit and just starts killing people in the back alleys of Hong Kong and our bumbling hero played by Young Bao uh, ends up having to face off against him. Um, really spectacular martial arts sequences, um, a strangely difficult to find film and a strangely under-discussed classic martial arts film. It's really great and currently you can find it on Vimeo somewhere um, and you're not, you know, you can steal content. It's I don't think it even has a DVD release oh, in the geez. US. So frankly, knock yourself out. Go watch it. It's got a shitty American dub, which frankly actually kind of adds to it. Um, so yeah, Dreadnought by Young Wu Ping. It's, it's really great. Good shit. All right, well, this week I figured we watched a pair of really underwhelming, shitty action films that should have been goofy and fun, but weren't. So why not put over one that's actually fun and competently made? Well, you know, competent is... Uh, and maybe stretch it a little bit, but uh, I want to put over Sergio Martino's American Rickshaw, which is a late 80s Martino joint, not exactly known as his golden period, but uh, I've, I've come to find a lot of charm in his 80s work. And this is no exception. It stars Mitchell Gaylord, who was like an Olympic gold medalist who tried to break into 
uh, the world of film and he made a couple of action flicks and then some like 90s softcore Cinemax shit. And he is a, uh, a rickshaw guy in Miami and he gets caught up in a uh, wrongfully accused type of plot. Um, and then there's a ton of just goofy ass like Asian mysticism nonsense uh, so it kind of plays like a spaghetti version of Big Trouble in Little China in a lot of ways. It's loads of fun. Uh, no budget, which hurts it a bit, uh, only because I feel like they would have done more had they had the resources to do it. But Donald Pleasance is in it. He plays a televangelist who may or may not be pig Satan. Um, it's just it's loads of fun. Just good action. Really, really cheap. But uh, it's, it's a good time. Good way to spend 80 minutes of your life. And there is a brand new Blu-ray out too, which is out by shit. It's uh, it's like a brand new company. Give me one second. I'm gonna figure this out. Please hold. What? I thought the company was called Shit. What no, it's that? called Shit. No, uh, Cauldron. Cauldron. I, hmm. I literally just turned around and grabbed it off my shelf. So Cauldron Films. They've got two releases under their belts. A couple more things coming, but it's a it's a really it's a beautiful package. Transfer looks great. Some cool special features on here. It's got a nice slip cover. It's uh, it's good shit. So. Check it out, Cauldron Films, American Rickshaw, Sergio Martino doing weird shit with no money in the 80s. It's all good. So, yeah, that's about it for this week. Uh, if you're listening to this podcast right now, do us a big favor. Click the link to our iTunes page that is in the description below. Uh, that'll take you to the rate and review section of our iTunes page. Please give us five stars. Give us a written review. Uh, there was a, a, a shout-out to us. Uh, we got another review, another five-star review. Thank you for that. Appreciate it. Uh, to the, the Beefcake boys out there, we love you, we appreciate you, and everything that you do. Uh, the Beefcake Army is strong, uh, based on our, our latest review. Other than that, we have a Patreon. That's right. You can give us money. And I'm sure in this global pandemic, that's exactly what you want to do. Give a bunch of jackasses some extra cash. But podcasting costs money. It's, it costs money to host this shit, costs money to do it. It's, uh, it's an expensive venture. And don't you want to hear an improved version of Jack Eason? I know I do. And if we're going to make Jack the best Jack that we can, the only way we can do that is upgrading his equipment. And the only way that we can do that is uh, if you give us some of your hard-earned cash. So if you give us just three bucks a month, it's basically nothing. It's a cup of coffee. I think we're worth a cup of coffee, right? And uh, that'll give you access to the Optimism Vaccine Patreon feed, which has articles, uh, podcasts that you can only access from Patreon, all kinds of great shit. So uh, value. It's all about value. Plus, at higher tiers, you can also start to, uh, you know, influence the content that we put out for you each and every week. It's, it's a beautiful thing, really. So make sure you check out our Patreon. Really appreciate it. And, uh, yeah, thank you for that. Uh, other than that, yeah, tweet at us at OptimismVaccine. Email us, OptimismVaccine at gmail.com. If you got any questions, comments, death threats, marriage proposals, Adam Myros is standing by hitting refresh every 30 seconds, all day, every day. It's what he does. And, uh, Jake, you got the last word tonight, baby. You want to bet on a dude fucking an alligator? Optimism vaccine. Optimism vaccine.